She's Tori. And he's Nick. And this is I Want to Rewatch. An X-Files podcast, season three. Episode one. The Blessing Way. So before we start, we just wanted to do a quick tribute to Ed Asner. We're recording this on August 29th, 2021. And this morning we learned he passed away at the age of 91. Ed Asner was an incredible person, incredible actor. He was in one episode of The X-Files, which is How the Ghost Stole Christmas in 1998. But he had a long and incredible career as both an actor and a voice actor. And he was in some shows that we've mentioned on this podcast before, including Freakazoid. He did voice acting for Spider-Man, the animated series, Batman, the animated series, Gargoyles, just a whole bunch of stuff. He's really well known for being in the movie Elf, the movie Up, the Mary Tyler Moore Show, and Studio 60 on the Sunset Strip. But he has so many credits, I could not even begin to name them all. So we're sorry to lose Ed Asner, and he will be missed. Hey! Yeah, so Jedi Mind Trick, it is not August 29th. It is September 10th, 2021. And it is the first anniversary of the greatest and only X-File podcast ever. I want to rewatch <laughs> an X-Files podcast. It is also the 20th anniversary of some show you might have heard of called The X-Files. Yep. So, yeah. Which is not a coincidence. We did start the podcast on the anniversary of the X-Files, so it just works out that way. But I'm so excited that we've been doing this for a year. We're about to start season three, and the X-Files has been out in the world for 28 years. That's amazing. Yeah. And so to celebrate, you might have heard a little something about us maybe having some cake. Yep. Well, we got some cake. Tori, what kind of cake do you have? So I went to a place called Nothing Bunt Cake, and it's a small chain. They do these like cute little three inch bunt cakes and they have different flavors and they do a monthly like flavor of the month. So I got the flavor of the month, which is lemon raspberry. And it's got like a lemon cream cheese frosting or something. It's really I mean, I've only tried the frosting because I had to get it out of the plastic and I got the frosting all over my fingers. And yeah, the frosting is really good. So I'm excited for the cake. Oh, okay. What about you? What kind of cake did you get? Well, I have, it's technically homemade because my wife is the pastry chef at Screen Door Restaurant, as we've discussed before, but it is a cake that is sort of, it's sort of a cake that's on the menu occasionally, the menu changes, but it is a lemon coconut cake. Ooh. And I forgot to check and I can't tell because the flavors are so wonderful that it's kind of hard to tell. I think the cake is lemon flavored. So it's a white cake, and I think it's got, like, lemon zest in it, I believe. Um, I actually used to make this cake because I used to be her assistant as well. So, But I believe it's a lemon-flavored white cake. And then it is layered and iced with a whipped cream frosting that has coconut shredded in it. And then it also has lemon curd in between the layers. And then like a, a disc of lemon curd on top. And wow. this one is fancy and even has a little bit of gold leaf on the top because it's an anniversary cake. Oh. Um, also, it's slightly modified because I'm a huge fan of lemon curd. And so the it's a three-layer cake. And so the center layer actually is hollowed out. So it's just like a ring of cake to give support. But then it's lemon curd all inside. Oh, so, that sounds yeah, so, so it's good. Like, so it's like cake, 
some whipped cream and lemon curd, and then like a ring of cake with lemon curd in the middle, and then another layer of whipped cream curd, and then cake, and then whipped cream, and then a disc of lemon curd. And oh then, man! And then, and then, like the whipped cream has coconut in it, but then also then coconut shred gets all over the cake, so the cake is covered. There'll be photos on yeah. the Instagrammers and <laughs> we'll stuff, put photos so. up. But I'm thinking I should have driven down to Portland and gotten one of those cakes. That sounds yeah. really good. So, <laughs> so also as promised, we're gonna do some ASMR for you guys. So, well, here's my fork. Got my got my <laughs> my fork. All got right. my plate. I won't chew into the mic though. I will avoid doing that. Oh, see, Tori, you're ruining the whole moment, Tori. Gotta get a nice fork full. Of I know people who that really bothers. Here. So, <laughs> well, well, but you can always I mean, skip ahead if you, you need get to. your warning right now. So yeah. <laughs> mm, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This cake is really good. It's got a lot of lemon and raspberry flavor, and like. The thing I like about Nothing But Cakes is that even though it's like kind of a chain and, you know, whatever, like they, I don't know, the cakes are always so moist and like tender. They're always really, really good. I really like them. Well, Tori talked, I'm just eating my cake. Well, you know, I would have made my own, but I did not have time. I'm not so, as good of a baker as the professionals, so. I'm not going to eat my whole slice of cake here. Yeah, I'm not but, either. I'm just going to leave it to the side yeah. and maybe I'll pick at but it very when you're talking. <coughs> oh, now I got coconut shreds stuck in my throat. I'm going to die. <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I also have a modified version of this cake because I'm also a big fan of like, if you like F masculata, I like <laughs> I like the pina colada flavors. And so like the pineapple and the coconut, I'm really a fan of that kind of stuff. And so there's a modified version of this one. Instead of being lemon curd, it's like a pineapple jelly oh, man. kind of thing. That would so be it's good. Coconut, so it's coconut and pineapple. That yeah. sounds delicious. Pretty good, too. I could actually had trouble deciding, but I knew the pineapple thing would have to be something specially made, whereas the lemon curd already exists in the restaurant. And right. So I was like, oh, I'm going to get one. I'm not going to, you know, she's my wife. She would do it. But it's like, eh, I'm trying to be nice. So. I could do as, as little work as possible. Right. Well, anyway, happy anniversary to the X-Files and to our podcast. And thank you to everyone who has listened over this past year. And we hope you keep listening and keep interacting with us on social media. And we look forward to season three of the X-Files, which I'm really excited about. Just looking at the episode titles, I think there's going to be some really good episodes. So I think we're in for some fun. I hope so. I do, too. <laughs> But anyway, let's get into this episode. All right. The Blessing Way originally aired Friday, September 22nd, 1995, and it was written by Chris Carter. In it, Mulder is presumed dead and Scully is on suspension for insubordination. So Scully tries to get Skinner to help her get the men responsible for Mulder's disappearance. Skinner claims his hands are tied but he might be working behind the scenes to help them. Meanwhile, Scully learns that she has a strange metal implant in her neck, and then she learns that there's a hit out on her and that the assassin may be someone she knows. Ooh. Whoa. That sounds like a good episode. It does. <laughs> yeah. I hope it lives up to that. It had a viewership of 19.94 million, which is 3.34 million more than the last episode. 
which was, of course, the season two finale in which Mulder was apparently killed off. This will be the most viewed episode of season three. Yeah. It's also the most viewed episode of X-Files so far. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, that whole, like, summer of speculation and media going, did this guy kill off his main character? I mean, it worked, right? Like, people tuned in. We all wanted to know what happened. I don't know if we'll get a satisfying answer to that question, but we did want to know. Oh, Tori and her hints and hints. Okay. I know. I can't, I can't, I can't sit on my cards. I just have to throw them out on the table. (laughs) So before we start for clarity, um, and also I I feel kind of bad. Like we (laughs) joked a little bit in Anasazi about the man who I call like Eric's brother father because like they don't specify who he is. It's obviously Eric's father. It's Albert's son. Like that's clear. They just don't specify it in the episode and the actor's not credited in either episode. So the character is never named, but he is played by Byron Chief Moon, Brian Lowry, and IMDB erroneously credit him as Tim Michelle in The Blessing Way, despite having correctly credited him in Anasazi as Byron Chief Moon. But I think, well, I know that's because Brian Lowry's trash, and obviously so is IMDb most of the time. And Brian Lowry's editor, apparently, because no one reads the stuff. What's weird is that he's a... because he's not credited in either episode officially. So unofficially, he is credited as father in Anasazi and then unofficially credited as Albert's son in The Blessing Way. So it's possible these aren't the same character they're referring to, but I don't know who else would be father in Anasazi. And right. it is the same actor in both episodes. And that actor is Byron Chief Moon. Mm-hmm. So all this could have been avoided, however. If X-Files would stop giving white people who barely appear on screen credits and then continue to ignore people of color who often actually have speaking lines. So, yeah, I mean, come on. If you're a white person walking by the set, you get a producer credit. And if you're a person of color who has a speaking role, it's like you might not even get acknowledged as a role, even yeah. though you had a well, line I mean, we've in the had script, people like... that we that we've referenced have been like in previous episodes, and we go back and oh, look yeah. and it's like, oh, I didn't even know like that was even a character. Like we totally missed them, and yet they got credit. And then the people who have actually have lines and like scenes with the lead characters and don't get credit at all. So yeah, it's, kind of it's... Like, mm. and it's usually people of color, Hispanic, yes, it is. black, Native American. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, it's a little not cool. Nope, so. super not cool. Yeah, and again, racism is not cool just because you don't agree with us. That's you know. I mean, you can, but if you leave a review that's like one star, they hate racism. I don't think that's going to hurt us as much as you think it's going to. Yeah, it just says more about you than it says about us. So, uh, anyway, <laughs> I don't even read our reviews, so I don't even know. Yeah, cake can only do so much. I'm sorry, people. Okay, we're we're starting off hot. Cake is going to cure everything because this episode requires a lot of sugar. Oh, uh, man. Tori again. Coming in. Sorry. Again, cards on the table. (laughs) Not the best episode. And I think I liked it more than Nick. But I mean, I think that, yeah, we can both agree it's not amazing. So that's not necessarily saying a lot. So anyway, (laughs) we open with a last season on the X-Files recap. I do have to wonder who the voice that is. I don't think it's Chris Carter's voice. No. And they didn't go with the like the in a world kind of voiceover. It's just some dude saying like last season on the X-Files. Yeah. I don't think we get, it's not anyone we're supposed to know. So. Okay. Yeah. It's not like an actor. It may be just like a PA or something. I have no idea. Anyway, the recap shows like the alien body on Eric's blanket and we get, you know, dialogue kind of stuff in the scenes where the scenes have dialogue. 
the thinker is giving Mulder the top secret defense files in the UFO. And then like Skinner's got Mulder in a chokehold. And then Mulder like finds his dad, dad. And then he's yelling at Scully about being a spy with her little notes. And then Scully's like, my name is in these files. And then Mulder's calling Scully on the phone from inside the train car full of bodies. And then they're like, Mulder's not in there. And then cigarette smoking man is like, burn it. Boom. It blows up and there's fire. And then they use a nice transition where it's the same fire. And then we get a voiceover from Albert. He tells us there's an ancient saying that says something only lives as long as the last person who remembers it. His people have come to trust memory over history. Like fire, memory is radiant and immutable, while history serves those who seek to control it. Those who would douse the flame of memory in order to put out the dangerous fires of truth. Those men are dangerous and unwise. Their false history is written in the blood of those who might remember. And then all these soldiers burst into Albert's home and they hit Eric's dad with a rifle butt. Boom, knock him on the ground. And then they force Albert onto his knees. And then they tell him, put his hands behind his head. And the cigarette smoking man comes in. He's got Eric with him and he demands to know where Mulder is. And Albert tells him he doesn't know. And the cigarette smoking man says, Mulder's car is parked outside. And then he and Albert kind of have like a little stare down. And then the cigarette smoking man shouts that he wants Mulder and the files. And Albert's like, you'll find nothing here. And the cigarette smoking man nods and boom, they hit Albert with the butt of a rifle. And then we cut and Scully arrives at Albert's and the place is like just torn apart. And Eric's dad is tending to Albert's wounds. And then Scully is like, what happened? And they tell her there were men looking for Mulder. And then she asks where Mulder is. And Albert just kind of shakes his head. And then Eric comes out of the bathroom and his face is messed up. Like he had a couple of like little cuts and bruises when the cigarette smoking man dragged him in. But like now, like his face, like one half of his face is all like red. His lips are all busted up. One of his eyes is swollen shut. Not pretty. Then we cut to mm -hmm. the quarry and Scully runs down the hills of the train car. And the smoke is still billowing out of the opening. And she looks at it. And then she looks around at the canyon and she screams Mulder's name. Con! And then there's no answer. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She doesn't really say con. She says Mulder, like I said, but it was that right, kind of yeah, scene. Yeah. So, yeah. And then his theme song. Yep. Which apparently I did read, like, there's some minor note changes. It's shortened a little bit or something. Mark Snow did. And then it's going to stay this way for, like, several seasons. I didn't notice it. I don't know if it's true. But apparently that's the thing on the internet is that there's a couple of note changes in huh. it. So. I could yeah. see that. Uh, for what it's worth, I really love Scully's outfit here. She's got like this satiny green top and she's got these high waist pants and it just looks really nice on her. Just add pro of nothing. Yay, Again, if they're going to have her run, they need to give her a better bra. But Yeah, yeah but I mean, she looks nice. Yeah. So She probably yay, wasn't planning on running. Maybe, so I don't know. No, yeah. she was probably like at a coffee shop or in town trying to get Yeah, I was going to say it's super convenient know. that she was gone the whole time. They could at least had her come with like a bag of groceries or something, make her look like she was doing something. Yeah. Instead of just hiding out. I know, with some ice cream and pickles. Over. And so, I know she's <laughs> in on it. So, anyway. Oh, yeah. I don't think she I did, is. There was one thing I did notice, though, when we kept, could we see like the, the, the train car burning, right? They keep showing the train car burning. It's covered in plastic sheeting, except for the opening. 
you can like see it kind of wrinkled along the edges and then like when they when they close it on the opening you can see the edge of the sheeting is kind of burning a little bit too like the flames kind of lick it and i'm kind of i'm huh. kind of want, like did they literally rent a train car and bury it and then didn't want it to get messed up so they covered it in plastic i don't know but i'm kind of like oh man i i bet they probably did i can imagine they did that i mean i'm sure if they did there would be a story painted but <laughs> Yeah. But I'm like, why is it? I mean, they painted a whole quarry instead of just yeah. going to New Mexico. But it is so covered in plastic. And I don't recall seeing that. But you kind of, like I said, you can kind of see where like it's not laying perfectly flat when they have like the larger view. And when they close in, you can see the edge of it. Because obviously it's not covering the opening because the opening is open, right? But you can see the edge of it and the edge is kind of burning too. It's like, hmm. It's like, it's like they didn't want it to get scratched up when it was buried is what I'm thinking. But then that makes me think like, is it actually a train car buried under there? I don't know. So. I don't know, or maybe they just yeah, maybe because they were putting rocks on something and so they had it there. Yeah, or like, maybe it's a yeah, set piece that they plan to use later for something, and so they don't want it to be scratched up from the dirt and whatever. I don't know, but yeah, or they just didn't want it to get like sand in it, sand yeah. and dirt. So I don't know. It just it's something yeah. I noticed. And I was like, oh, interesting. So then we're at the Navajo Reservation, northwest of Los Alamos, New Mexico, and Scully's driving down the highway. And helicopter appears behind her car and its spotlight is shining down on her and it flies in front of her and the spotlight like rotates around. So it's still on her and then it lands right in front of her in the road and soldiers hop out and one aims a gun at her through the windshield and another comes up to the door and is like out of the car and he like yanks her out and they push her against the car and they put her hands on top and one of them gets into the driver's seat and another one of them like pats her down, takes her gun and demands to know where the files are. And she's like in the trunk and one of the soldiers pops the trunk and checks it and he finds a file folder, but then he like shakes his head. And the other soldier who's like holding Scully against the car is like, we need the DAT copy. And she says she doesn't have it. And so then he asks who does. And she says, agent Mulder. And the soldier behind her kind of snarls, but then he like nods. And so all the soldiers like pile back into the helicopter and I guess just leave Scully there. I'm assuming they took the file. I didn't actually see. Yeah. Oh, I think they took yeah. the paper copy. Yeah. They just, that's not what they were looking for. I think it's for, interesting so. they decided to go with Navajo Reservation northwest of Los Alamos in this one because it's not really northwest. I'm, on, honestly, the Navajo Reservation, the nation itself, is actually more in Arizona than it is in New Mexico. There's a little bit of it in New Mexico. Mm-hmm. Directly northwest of Los Alamos is actually one of the Apache reservations. So, oh, okay. I mean, like, the Navajo is technically west and a little bit north. So, I mean, it fits, but like, it's also like 300 miles away. So it's not like they're like totally right. nearby. Whereas earlier in Anasazi, they mentioned two gray hills, which actually is part of that whole Navajo nation area. And it's like right almost on the border of New Mexico and Arizona. So but it mm-hmm. seems weird that they decided to go with the Los Alamos thing on yeah. this one, but I don't know. Then we're in Skinner's office and Scully is seated in a chair and Skinner's at his desk and he's actually seated this time. But there are other people in the room, so he's not standing like he usually does. Not a good sign. And then another man is standing, and he's walking back and forth, and he's reading off a paper saying that it's recommended that Agent Scully be put on mandatory leave of absence until the full extent of her misconduct can be determined. Scully will complete the suspension without pay or benefits due to the nature of her insubordination and at the direct disobedience of her superior agent. The man tells her that she will have to check her weapon and her badge before she leaves the building. She stands and she puts her gun and badge on Skinner's desk. 
Skinner says they also asked that she make herself available to answer further questions pertaining to their investigation of Mulder's whereabouts. She says she already told them everything she knows. To the best of her knowledge, Agent Mulder is dead. Skinner says, don't think this hasn't been difficult for everyone. Scully gives him a look, and then she leaves the office. And Scully looks pretty pissed off, and her face is a little red. And because she's a ginger, Mm -hmm. so she's going to get red. And then Skinner also looks a little pissed, but he's not red because he's not a ginger. Because, like, he he probably doesn't agree with what's happening, but he also can't really do anything about it. So, Right, yeah. So Skinner comes out of his office, and he kind of calls. He's like, Scully, or Agent Scully. And Scully asks who those people are. And Skinner tells her they're doing their job. And she argues what they're doing is putting an official stamp on the perpetuation of a lie. Scully mentions the poisoning of Mulder's water. And Skinner says there will be an investigation. But Scully argues that the men who did this aren't meant to be found. And Skinner's like, he kind of assures her that they will find them. But she says, with all due respect, sir, I think you overestimate your position in the chain of command. Which, woof. That's ouch. Ouch, Scully. So she leaves and she heads down to the X-Files office and she kind of like makes sure no one's following her. And then she shuts the door and she opens the top drawer of Mulder's desk and she pulls out a plastic cassette box that was taped to the top of the drawer inside, but it's empty. So (sighs) the dat tape is not in there anymore. Yeah. So you guys probably expected me to say this earlier, but I decided to wait. How is she checking her weapon when the soldiers took it? I'm assuming they gave it back to her, like when they left. I'm assuming that'd be weird because if they gave it back to her, she could totally start shooting at them. I would think they would not do that. Yeah, I think they probably know that she wouldn't. So they probably like tossed it on the seat. That and didn't do it. I don't don't think. Yeah, I don't think that's also possible. In universe, I'm saying they gave it back to her. In the script, they probably forgot. And then, like, so she gives them her gun. She gives them her badge. She keeps the little FBI agent thing clipped to her jacket, though. They don't take that from her. And then, like, why is she not escorted out of the building like someone who is no longer allowed to work here? They just, like, <laughs> let her roam around. She sneaks into the office, goes into the X-Files office. Like, not really thorough. I don't know. Yeah, so they got her gun and her badge. What's she going to do? I don't know. Steal some files, maybe? Who knows? I know. Who I mean, knows? you could argue that maybe they're trying to watch her to see if she goes and they find out where this stuff is. But obviously, it's not there. Right. So... It just kind of seems weird. That's usually possible. like That's the kind of thing where they would like escort you from the building, especially in a law enforcement place. They would like make you leave right then and there. So I also think it's weird that she's like, who are those people? They're the same people sans the guy standing in for Chris Carter, who is made to, you can totally tell the guy who's supposed to be Chris Carter in that episode because it's not Chris Carter. Yeah. But it's the same. Wonder... It's the same people that were there in Anasazi. Yeah. So like she has met them before. Like, I don't know the whole, like, who are these people? She answered the questions last time without any problem. Yeah. Well, she just means because she probably doesn't know like what their actual roles are in the FBI. They're just like some board of dudes. Yeah. I guess we're not supposed to remember it's making been four months. So <laughs> but I think it was funny because there's that one dude you definitely tell is like playing like the agent that Chris Carter was being like they kind of focus on him. You're like, oh, there's the Chris Carter dude. You know, it's not Chris Carter. It's weird that they didn't just have Chris Carter do it again. Yeah, I guess, but uh, I don't know. He was, he was busy writing. Type, 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 type. He was wore out. <laughs> so. Yeah, so then we we're at 46th Street, New York City, which apparently is going to be a location that we are going to see many times mm-hmm. in the future. I call it the Smoky Room. Yeah, it's apparently it is the headquarters of a place that we will learn to be called the Syndicate. Although we're not going to call it this now, so forget I said that. Ooh, Jedi mind trick. All right. There's some men sitting in a room, and some of them are smoking cigars. So, dude smoking cigars in a darkened room. You know how it is. 
The first man asked what the safeguards were against this. The files were never meant to be seen. Another says, 40 years of work, the damage could be incalculable. Again, as I said in Asazi, why do you just bury a bunch of bodies and if you're worried about people finding stuff out, you should have incinerated them. I mean, the file things also. Why do you have files on like a place where people can download them from the internet? Anyway, so the cigarette smoking man steps out from behind someone we will start calling the well-manicured man who is seated in an armchair. And the cigarette smoking man tells them that they've regained control. The files were recovered and those involved with the theft will be removed without incident. The cigarette smoking man tells them that they will handle the FBI eternal situation as usual and the immediate attention will be limited to a few scattered obituaries. The first man asks about the Mulder problem and the cigarette smoking man says Special Agent Mulder is dead. His body will not be recovered. He'll officially be listed as missing until the matter can be resolved quietly. The first man again asks if they've recovered the copy of the stolen computer files and the cigarette smoking man says yes. And then again, the first man says all parties should be informed that they continue with their work. And this whole time, mm -hmm. we are seeing the person that we are going to start calling the well-manicured man. He is watching the exchange between the cigarette smoking man mm -hmm. and the person that we're calling the first man, man number one. Yeah. And we're not just calling him the well-manicured man. That is what, that is what he's, he's called, called in the script yes. and in the fandom and fan lore. Yes. So everyone... If you know the X-Files, you know exactly who this is. I think I have a trading card with him on it. Like, he's pretty yes, big. And figure, we will talk but... a little bit about him later when he, he is going to appear later yeah. in the episode. And we'll talk a little bit more and about it. And it's him. not just a name we made no. up. So, <laughs> it is a thing. It could be. I mean, it could be. We should start doing that and just give people names. That would be fun. I do sometimes in the script. but like, yeah, and sometimes I change it. I'm like, Tori, you can't do that. And then I say we should do that. So, I'm a hypocrite. So Scully arrives at her mom's and her mom, Margaret Scully, is wearing a bathrobe and she's surprised to see her at the door. And Scully's holding her shoes, which her mom notes. And Scully's like, they started to give me blisters. And she's like, you walked here at this time of night? And Scully starts crying and she leans in and she hugs her mom. And she tells her that she made a terrible mistake and her dad would be so ashamed of her. She can't drive. Yeah, I mean, she's out walking because she's distressed, right? Like, that's that's a very TV thing. And I think it's especially very 90s TV oh. thing. So I think that's sort of the whole. Okay. The whole. You're stressed out. You go for a walk and you wander and you end up at mom's house, you know? Okay. That was a weird scene. It has no ramifications anywhere in the episode. So I think they just wanted to have. Well, it's character development. Julie Anderson to cry. So. Yeah, it's character building. That That has ramifications. And I always like Skelly's family, so. I mean, we don't see a lot of her mom, so not going to be in this episode anyway. I don't think she's, yeah, she's not in this episode anymore. No, she's in the next one, though. Yeah. But, yeah, and they're all like, this is part two of three, so. Yeah. So, then we see a New Mexico sunrise, and Albert's voiceover tells us the men who threatened them did not return to their house. But the next day, some of the boys from the reservation came and told them about buzzards circling over the quarry. And we actually see, like, you know, the boys knock on the door, doo -doo -doo, and they're talking to Albert and everything. And then Albert says, buzzards are large, cowardly birds who don't hunt for their prey. And when they circle in the desert, it means something has died, and they're going to pick its bones. Or that death is close, and they're waiting for it to do the work for them. Yeah, Albert's coming in hot with some hot takes on buzzards. <laughs> he has some strong, strong opinions. 
So <laughs> then we see they all go out to the quarry, like Albert and like the neighborhood kids and, you know, Eric's father and then Eric, they all go out to the quarry. And Albert says they go out to the quarry, but they don't see what the buzzards see. But Albert remembers that when he was a boy. So again, we're, we're getting a combination of like the scene. Then we're also getting Albert's voiceover. So Albert remembers when he was a boy, he found a body out there just like Eric did, buried under the rocks. But the buzzards wouldn't touch it. And then he walks over to some rocks and says that they found what the buzzards knew was there. At first, they didn't know who or what it was, only that death was upon it. And then we see a hand with like a watch on it, sort of, kind of sticking out from a bunch of big rocks. And Dang. it's not an alien oh. hand. Um, so the alien bodies, obviously, are what he's talking about. The buzzers wouldn't touch the alien bodies, right? But there is a body they would eat because they would eat them some older. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then it's commercial. Yep. Because Mulder's dead. <laughs> I mean, almost, <laughs> probably. Those are, oh my God. <laughs> so we've talked about this before, but those rocks are hardcore painted rocks. Oh my God. They are, they look like crap up close. They are bad. <laughs> You're like, what's wrong with those rocks? Like, oh, they're painted. With like 80 coats of paint. Yep. It's not, yeah, it's not great. It's not a great look, but. It looks great from a distance, but not up close. <laughs> no, up close, it no, definitely you can tell. No, that. no, 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 no. Yeah. So we see men removing the rocks while Albert's voiceover tells us that the desert can kill a man in a day. And as they dig Mulder out, Albert sees something else under the rubble. He sees one of the alienoid looking bodies. And they carry Mulder on a homemade stretcher using a blanket. And Albert says the FBI man surely would have died if he had not stayed underground and out of the elements. But even so, death was near. <gasps> yeah, I made that sound more sinister than he did. He's, you know, he has a nice voice. Well, I mean, his voiceover also is very, they keep trying to do like that, that native wisdom kind of thing. Uh, yeah. Like he, know, he knows Mulder's name, but he gives him like the FBI man. It's like, I know it's like, you, yeah, no, I mean, it's written by white dudes. Okay. It's, written, I know. it's very written by white dudes. Yeah, and we'll talk about, against, yeah. Yeah. yeah nothing <laughs> against, you know, the guy playing Albert. No, the guy playing Albert does a great job. He has a great voice. I yeah. would listen to him read audio books. Like he's, he's really like, you know, he's, he's also yeah, a good actor. About, honest, he, he has a pretty good career. You know, yeah. undoubtedly, probably playing Native American characters yeah. by white dudes. Probably. But, He's probably used but, to it, know. honestly. And that yeah, sucks like, that he had to a, be. You know but... what? At some point, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a paycheck. So at least I'm getting something from the white man. So. Yeah. Let's hope that as we move forward in time, Native representation on TV improves greatly. But anyway, yeah. this is the 90s. This is where we're at. So they bring Mulder <laughs> to a tent. And I think it's actually a Hogan. I don't remember if this is the tent or the Hogan. There is a Hogan. 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 Yes. It's spelled like Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Like Hogan. Hogan pronounces but... it Hogan. I don't know how okay, that's so it's pronounced. Hogan. He pronounces it Hogan. Okay. So. And Albert tells us in accordance with the ancient tradition, they put four twigs on the beams of the Hogan to summon the holy people and tell them a ceremony will be held. And the ceremony they're going to perform is the Blessing Way chant, not a real ceremony. Only the holy people can save Mulder's life now. And Albert lights some brush on fire in the Hogan and waves the smoke around with like a ceremonial feather. And then we see Scully and she's tossing and turning in bed. Oh, you, I don't know. You should probably do the scene because it's the next scene, right? So Okay. Oh, and it's Frohickey. It's Frohickey. Yay. Yeah. I forgot so, about Frohickey. And I did because I wasn't sure because I'd heard him say it and I saw what you put in the notes since I wasn't sure. 
like spelling wise or anything. So I actually looked it up and they actually do treat it really. I mean, they use it for what it's actually used for. It's actually, and they made it like the building they use actually looks like a real Hogan. Yeah. And that is what it's used for. So they did that part. Great. And it is a Navajo thing. It's not just some random Native American thing. So they actually did a pretty good job on that. I'll I'll grant them that. We'll talk later about it. But Chris Carter did go witness like a Navajo ceremony because the Navajo were like, dude, if you're going to write about us, you have to at least know something. So he probably yeah. knew that and he used that part that he knew was, which was the building anyway. <laughs> yeah. yeah. We'll talk about that. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. So then like you said, Albert is like, you know, lighting some brush to like, you know, get the smoke in the room and that kind of stuff for the ceremony. And then we cut to Scully and she's tossing and turning in bed. And then someone rings her doorbell and she goes to the people and looks and it's, we know that Jillian Anderson isn't very tall, but it's kind of funny because she has to really like get up on her tippy toes to look through the people. <laughs> and then it's even f- kind of funnier because when she opens the door, it's Fro Hickey, who is also very short. So she probably barely saw him through that people because he's shorter than she is. And he's like, I know it's late, but I heard the news. And I was about to say something. And then she says, how much have you had to drink? Because you can tell he's drunk. Yeah. And he holds up this nearly empty bottle of whiskey and he's like, do you recycle? <laughs> so, yeah. So then we cut and Frohoke is sitting at Scully's kitchen table and she pours him some coffee. And I have to say, the scene itself is kind of like, eh, but just like from the like Frohoke showing up at her door to then like them sitting at the table having coffee. I really like this because like. We know Fro Hickey has a huge crush on Scully. Yeah. And so it is a little weird for him to show up at her door drunk, even based on the news. That's still kind of like a, hmm. but it's, it's sweet. Cause like she invites him in, they have coffee. I, I really like it. It's sweet. And it's so. nice. Cause like when you lose somebody like that, you know, who do you go to? Well, other people who lost that person, like there's no one yeah. else. So yeah, it makes sense. Although yeah, showing up drunk at someone's store is not great, but the scene is really yeah. cute. And I do like that it, Exists, yeah, especially so. when you have definitely made like sexual innuendo <laughs> comments to their face hey, in the past. The good thing yeah. about Frohicky <laughs> is that he may say things, but he he behaves himself. He does. Yeah, he does. Yeah. And, and on most of his like ugh, comments have been not in her presence, but he has said a few in her presence, like right when she's right there. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has. Yeah. But anyway, so she pours in some coffee and Frohicky says that Mulder was a redwood among shrubs. And then he says that he guessed this means that Mulder is passing the torch to Scully. And she's like, afraid not. I'm soon to be out of a job. And Frohicky's like, those sons of bitches, they're rigging the game. Scully agrees, saying that they're rats who scatter back into the woodpile. And Frohicky pulls out this article from a newspaper, kind of folded up. And he says it's a news item about Kenneth Suna, who we knew is the thinker, right? The guy who gave those files to Mulder. And the article says that he was killed execution style in what appears to be a professional murder. And the article says that the body was found at Trenton Hill landfill. Scully's like, what's the date on this? And so it turns out the article was written on April 16th, which Scully says was the day before yesterday after Mulder disappeared. And she's like, could they be so stupid? Mm. Now that I think about it, that date is not right. That's not the day mm-hmm. after Mulder disappeared. Because remember, we made a big deal about it was April 16th. They skipped April 15th. And then Mulder actually disappeared on April 16th. Right. So, so yeah, you're right. Yeah. That's I did not, not even correct. catch that until just now reading it. Um, because we because Eric found the body on the 9th. And so it was exactly a week after when Mulder is there and goes to find the body. And then he disappears on the 16th. But now they're saying that that was the day after Mulder disappeared, which 
not right. But could they be so stupid? Apparently, yes. Anyway. <laughs> So then we get a shot of the starry sky and Albert tells us that the blessing way is a healing ritual passed down by their Navajo ancestors. Again, not a real ritual. The songs and prayers must be followed as they have been for centuries or the holy people will not be summoned. So inside the Hogan, Albert is drawing symbols and he says he watched his father perform this ritual and saw its healing magic. But his fear for Mulder is that his spirit did not want to be healed that it wanted to join his own father who had died and didn't want to return to the world of the living. And Albert sits next to Mulder and he uses his ceremonial feather to make gestures and he puts some ash on Mulder's forehead. And then he chants while another man beats a drum. And we see Mulder covered in leaves on a cot floating in the sky. <laughs> Sorry, this we will talk about this. It's very hard to talk about this with a straight face because it is a little bit silly. Oh my God. Um, and so Albert says, if his desire to join his ancestors is too strong, the ritual won't work. Yeah. So the next scene we're going to do straight. Yeah. We'll talk about it later. We're going to try. Yes. It's. A, I mean, you can probably get through it without giggling. Okay. I, don't I will know do it. Yeah, I'm, I'm not even going to visualize. I'm just going to read the words. So, mm-hmm. yeah. As Mulder floats, masked figures stand in a line behind him. And then one of the masked figures steps forward and morphs into Deep Throat. And he stands next to Mulder and he has like a soliloquy about how like being dead isn't great and not having time as a thing. It makes it difficult. But he tells him that he comes to him with the dull clarity of the dead, not to beckon him, but to feel the fire that burns in Mulder. The truth may be found in death, but it's hollow without justice or judgment. And he urges Mulder to go back. Awaken the sleep of reason and fight the monsters within and without. And then we get a scene where like there's these, these gas canisters drop on to like a floor and we find out it's the train car and it's a train car with all the little alienoid people. Except the alienoid people are alive and they're running around because they are being gassed to death. And so like the canisters yeah. go in and then someone closes the lid and they run and they squeal and they fall on the ground and they're crying. It's not a cool scene and it's hydrogen no, it's- cyanide. We see it like focuses on one of the canisters. Yeah, so it's pretty freaking horrifying. So we get like this silly scene and like it's not supposed to be silly, but like and then we get that flash, which is just freaking horrible. Yeah. And then we come so, back yeah. and another one of the masked people. So like all these dudes in shadow, they're all dressed in black and then like their faces are obscured either digitally or with a mask. And then as they step forward, they morph into like deep throat. And then the next one comes forward and morphs into Bill Mulder, Mulder's dad. He stands over Mulder. And then Bill is talking. And as Bill is talking, at one point, Mulder opens his eyes and looks at his father. So he wakes up. But anyway, Bill tells Mulder that the lies he told him were a pox on his soul. And that he stands there ashamed of the choices he made so long ago. He says, you are the memory, Fox. It lives in you. If you die now, the truth will die. And only the lies survive us. And then Mulder asks him if his sister is there. And Bill says, no. He says, the truth he thought would destroy him is the truth that Mulder will learn if he goes forward. And the scene ends. Yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It wasn't Mm -mm. a good scene. Mm -mm. No. 
It w- it wasn't like narratively, it wasn't great. And then execution wise, it was not great. Yeah. I mean, I'll talk about it at the end of the episode, but I feel like they could have just cut all this stuff and just found yeah. Mulder in the desert. I think, I mean, right? David Duchovny wanted his own one breath scene is what he wanted. <laughs> Why he wanted it, I don't know, but apparently that's what he wanted. Like Deep Throat talks for over a minute. Yeah, it's really long. Yeah, Bill Mulder talks for long. like a like a minute and forty seconds. The whole thing is like almost four minutes long. I'm like kind of it's, it's like very like, it's long. Like three minutes and forty five seconds, and it feels like ten minutes. It's yeah, not great. Yeah, yeah, it's just really long, and we'll talk about the overall impact anyway. <laughs> it's fine. So then we're at FBI headquarters in Washington D.C., and there's this woman, and she's giving a tour of the FBI headquarters. So clearly, this is like a public entrance, and she's talking about the building's history. And Scully is behind the tourists. And when she reaches the metal detector, she pulls out her keys, you know, puts them in the little tray. And the guard comments that, oh, they're making you come in the front door these days, huh? And she's like, for now. And she walks through the metal detector and it beeps. And the guard asks if she's carrying her weapon. And she says no. And he's like, oh, man, I'm sorry. And he, like, pulls out the wand because he's got to wand her. So he starts, you know, running right over her clothes and whatever and he's like yeah i once had a shirt pin and a collar set the machine off so you can just go ahead and go on through like he can't find anything that's beeping so yeah nothing beeps so yeah just lets her go so she thanks him and then she's seated outside skinner's office and he asks her to come in and so basically scully has requested a meeting with skinner so he's like you needed to see me regarding this investigation and so she tells him about the news article about suna's body and she has reason to believe he was killed by the same men who killed Mulder and Mulder's father. And the man's death postdates Mulder's disappearance, which means that Mulder could not have killed this guy because Mulder's obviously being set up to take the fall for his dad's murder. And so she wants Skinner to run the ballistics of Mulder's father's death against the ballistics on this case. And Skinner asks what that will prove. And Scully says if they can prove the same gun was used, it will clear Mulder and help them find the man who did it. And Skinner kind of reminds her that she's been relieved of her investigative function. And she says she knows, but she thought this might be helpful. And he's like, it's not. This (laughs) case would have been handled by Trenton PD. If there was a ballistics match, it would have already alerted their system. And Scully's kind of surprised he doesn't want to check. And Skinner tells her that she underestimates the duties of his position as assistant director. So he's kind of getting back at her for her comment earlier. Yeah, throwing it back in her face. Yeah. And she's like, I just wanted to help. And he accuses her of just wanting to help her own situation and get back to work faster. But she insists that she wants answers. And Skinner says, and so do I. He's pretty harsh about it. And he tosses a paper across his desk. And he wants to know why he was asked to execute a search warrant on her apartment to look for a digital cassette. And Scully says she doesn't have it. And Skinner asks if the tape is what Mulder died for. And Scully believes it is. And he tells her that if she wants to bring him a smoking gun, she can bring him this tape. Otherwise, she can go home and let them do their job. Dun, dun, dun. Ouch. So Scully leaves through one door. And this does clarify. I think we I think we did get clarification of this before. Uh-huh. But Skinner's office does have two sets yeah, of doors. Because as Scully leaves through one door, the cigarette smoking man comes in through another door. And he asks Skinner if he asked about the tape. And Skinner says that Scully says she doesn't have it. And so the cigarette smoking man lights a cigarette and is like, is that what she says? And Skinner's like, yeah, that is what she says. And the cigarette smoking man is like, well, that's unfortunate for everyone. 
Yeah. Especially himself, because he told his little buddies that he had the tape, mm-hmm. and they don't have the tape. No, he has lied to them a lot, actually, in the last couple episodes. Yeah. So. Yeah. So Oof. back in the lobby, Scully removes her visitor's badge because she's leaving. So you don't have to go through the metal detector when you leave, apparently, just when you come in. Which makes and sense. And then yeah. she kind of comes around and she's like, hey, do you mind if I go through again? And he's like, yeah, sure. Go ahead. It's cool. So so she does it and it goes off again. And he's like, man, these machines, they're really not great. <laughs> and so she's like, can you uh, just can you run run the wand over me again? And he's like, sure fine so he does and like it doesn't go off then she turns around and he does it and then it goes off near the base of her neck (gasps) oh no and he's like are you wearing a necklace and she like clutches at her throat and it's like no not today and he's like huh what the hell is that and she looks haunted (gasps) yeah her face is pretty good here she has well, a pretty good expression of like she is not I, happy about whether this you want to consider overacting good. I don't know. But I yeah, don't okay. think it's overacting. I disagree yeah. with you. I think it's a good face. Okay. Um, and I was thinking, like, I kept thinking she had to have gone through a metal detector before this because, like, they fly all the time. Oh, but then, I'm, like, I'm, I'm sure she has. I'm quite sure she has. Yes. Yeah. But I mean, they didn't really do that for airplanes in the 90s, I don't think, did they? I don't remember. I know there was no like security line and I know you could just walk up to the gate. So I guess you only had to go through a metal detector if they asked you to or something because I don't think it was standard practice. So yeah, I'm yeah, I don't know. Anyway, one, this guy is bad at his job because he obviously doesn't want people correctly because the first time didn't go off. So yeah, I mean, he knows her and I'm guessing that he kind of knows she's not really a threat. So he's not yeah, super we'll worried about it. Two, she's not wearing her cross necklace despite its importance because remember Mulder saved it and gave it to her in one breath. So yeah. now she's suddenly just, Mulder's dead, so she's not going to wear it anymore, whatever. And then three, <laughs> she is wearing earrings and it buzzes at her neck. So it could be yeah. her earrings. I mean, they're right there. So. Yeah, they might not be real metal. Her necklace might not be real metal either. Yeah, it's true. So. But yeah. They just he asked if she's wearing a necklace, but she's clearly wearing earrings. So yeah. So anyway, Scully is standing with a doctor in front of an X-ray, and it sounds almost like she's still at the FBI because she's like, "Thanks for coming down here to do this." And he's like, "Oh yeah, no problem. It's not much going on." And so he sounds like he's like an agency dude. So I'm not oh, sure what's going on here. I thought it was just the doctor that she knew, and he had come down to his office, but I don't know. I mean, it's his office. Why would he come down to his own office? Well, because, you know, it's late at night, it seems like. So I think it's after hours. Oh, that was the impression anyway. that I got anyway. So he's standing in front of an x-ray and it shows this tiny piece of metal, which we see like from profiles. They took like the x-ray from profile. So it's kind of hard to see what it is. It's just like a little, looks like a little piece of rice maybe or something. And it's embedded in the soft tissue at the back of her neck. And she's like, what could it be? And he's like, well, you know, it could just be a piece of buckshot. And he's like, maybe, you know, you got some like shrapnel at some point in the course of your job and just never realized it. And then he goes and he like feels and he's like, oh, yeah, I can actually feel it under the skin here. And he's like, oh, and now that I'm looking closely, there is a little tiny scar right there, which I mean, would you not look before you took the extra? I don't know. Anyway, he's like, I can give you a local right now and pull it out if you want. And she's like, OK. And so, you know, she holds her hair back and like gets everything ready and then. That's when she thanks him for coming down to the office so late. And he's like, no problem. So I, I seem, I don't know. Maybe you're, I don't know where they're at. It just seemed weird. And that's, that's when he says she was probably wounded in the line of duty and didn't know it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I'm just like, like, they didn't do any scans of her body when she was found. No one's done x-rays. 
Like, dude, remember at least what happens in your own show when you're writing scripts. Come on. And then Scully just never touches her body, apparently, because, like, why would you not? I don't know. I think I don't know. I could see not noticing a little because it's pretty. When I take a shower, I like wash my whole body and like feel right. But if you use like a loofah or something, you might not notice a tiny. I mean, that's like the spot, and that's exactly the spot. Like when you're kind of like you know you're feeling kind of achy, that's the spot of your neck where you rub, and you're like, yeah, neck. It's like just I don't know. I think we're just supposed to think it's very tiny, and so she just wouldn't have noticed exactly. Like yeah. They couldn't. They couldn't have her discover it before I just, because uh, I apparently just hate television. Is what happened. <laughs> yeah. so. I don't. I love television. Oh, <sighs> so back at the Hogan, Albert tells us that the Blessing Way chant was performed for three days while Mulder's body burned with fevers, and there was doubt that he would recover. But on the night of the third day, he opened his eyes and asked for water. So Albert gave him the ritual bath before sunrise and he sensed in him a rebirth. And then he gives Mulder some food and says it will take time for him to regain his strength. Mulder, we've, we've seen this previously. This scene is just super exaggerated though. So I have to comment. He has like a giant bullet hole in his shoulder in the front because Scully shot him in Anasazi, right? But like this bullet hole is like the size, like if they use like a door breaker shotgun round at him or something, it's like Mm -hmm. super huge. It actually looks super infected as well. But then like they pan around in the shot and his shoulder on the same side is uncovered on the back. And he's got like this little tiny bruise, like not even a hole in his shoulder. (laughs) And like the bullet was supposed to go through. Like, come on, dude. He's got like this giant like artillery round in his front of his chest and then like a little bruise on his back. Like, come on. The makeup crew got distracted <laughs> doing the front and forgot to do the back. They got too excited about this bullet wound in the front. But it's yeah, it's super like it's you could put your thumb in the hole. It is so big. And then it's all like puckered around the edge. It's nasty looking. But like, I don't know if the bullet holes look like that. But speaking of things in people's body. The doctor is looking at this super tiny piece of metal that he pulled out of Scully and he's looking at it under a microscope and he's like, it's definitely not buckshot. He's like, I know what it looks like to me, but um, you want to have a look at it? So she goes and looks at the microscope and she's like, like does a double take and she's like, it looks like a computer chip. And he's like, that's what I was going to say. So then Scully is at a table with her sister, Melissa. And she shows Melissa the glass file with the little chip, and she tells her she doesn't know how long it's been inside her. And Melissa tells her it's frightening, and she needs to figure out what it is. And Scully says she doesn't even have access to the FBI labs. But Melissa is talking about accessing her own memory. She has to have that information. It's just locked so deeply she can't access it. But Melissa knows someone who can help her. And Scully kind of gets mad, and she, like, bangs the table, and she stands up, and she's like, no. And Melissa asks her what she's so afraid of, that she might actually learn something about herself. And she tells Scully that Scully's so shut off from possibilities outside her rigid scientific worldview that she's lost touch with her own intuition. And Scully is carrying so much grief and fear, she's built up walls around her true feelings and the memory of what happened. And Melissa's like, please, Dana, do this for me. So, like, she's trying to get her to go to hypnotherapy which is something that that she's gonna have her do she might do i guess (laughs) oh well then we cut to a sign on a door that says dr mark pomerantz psychotherapy regression hypnosis energy fields okay you had me until the last one but (laughs) 
right. I mean, the second one even is still kind of, well, even the first one, honestly. But the last one, Energy Field, is like, ooh, okay, all right. <laughs> anyway, so Little Scully woo-woo. goes in. <laughs> a little, little. And Dr. Pomerantz tells her that he's going to induce a state that's a modified form of hypnosis using holotropic breathwork. It will quiet her interpretive mind so they can cut through the interference with her memories and perceptions. He tells Scully to relax her breathing and think of a place she's always felt safe. She closes her eyes. And then Dr. Pomerantz asks Scully about when she was taken and had lost time. And if she remembers how she felt just before it happened. So Scully is under hypnosis and she's like, I was afraid. And he's like, of what? And she's like, that I would die. He points out that she didn't die and that someone must have cared for her. Does she remember who that was? And she says there were men. A man took her and there was a light and loud sounds. And then they've been doing this for a little bit, I guess. And Pomerantz is asking the procedure the men performed on her. So we don't know if he's leading her or not or if this is something she came up with. Anyway, she tries, but the sound is all screwed up, she says. There was an alarm. They wanted to know if she was all right. And so he suggests that she trusted them to not hurt her then. Is that possible? And Scully doesn't know. And Pomerantz mentioned that she works with people at the FBI that she has to trust. Was it any of them? And Scully mutters something about how she had to trust someone. And then Pomerantz says, if it's too painful, we can go back to your safe place. But then he like touches her, like touches her hand, mm-hmm. which is not something you should do. I know nope. enough about that, which of course scares her. And she startles and she jumps up and she like, says like she doesn't think this she's like she's trying but she doesn't think this is work and she needs to leave and so she thinks him and then she leaves so he's not great at his job he's not great and also like we don't see the whole conversation because there is kind of like a time jump where they kind of like mm. fade out and fade in but it's kind of awkward that he's talking about her trusting the people who like kidnapped her and are performing well, these weird surgeries i would imagine that's to help her remember because if she starts feeling anxious she might block it out Maybe. So that's that's the that's the vibe I was getting. But then it's we just, do get like the jump to like, tell me about what they were doing to you. It's but, just weird. The whole scene, like just like the blessing way ritual, like all this could have just been cut out. Like it's not necessary. Yeah. This would have been the thing because all we actually see is her and Pomerant. You would almost think that we would actually get some flashback scenes during this scene. Yeah. We don't. No, so we don't one, get anything. It's boring. And then it's also kind of ridiculous and awful. Yeah. So. But Dr. Pomerantz is played by Alf Humphreys. He appeared in the episode Space as a NASA controller, and he'll appear in one more episode, which is Detour. Yeah, he was apparently credited as second controller in Space. Mm -hmm. And he'll also appear in two episodes of Millennium. In addition, he's been on Supernatural, The Sentinel, The Outer Limits, and Smallville. What? No, The Commish? No, the commission. I didn't look. He might yeah. have been in the commission. I might have listened. He probably might probably was, honestly. Everybody seems to be in the commission. Yeah. The commission's going to come up a little bit later, in fact. Yeah. A couple of times, actually. So Scully has left, and she pulls up to her building. So she has a car now. So she, whatever. <laughs> She's not walking out of distress now. <laughs> She's scene, driving from an apartment. Well, she probably should be distressed now, but it's just that scene was ridiculous. Anyway, so as she pulls up to her building, she sees Skinner come out of her door, and Skinner, like, comes out and he looks around as if someone like is watching him and then he gets in his car and drives away so skinner didn't do a great job he didn't see scully right there across the street from her door mm-hmm. but then she's like oh, because obviously skinner's coming out of her building 
So yeah, it's a little weird to see your boss. Was he in her apartment? We don't know. Maybe. I always thought previously, maybe they've changed. It doesn't sound like they have, but I always thought previously like Scully was in more of like a, like a, not a detached house, but like a duplex or something. Whereas now she seems to be like in a building with like, you have to go upstairs to get to the door. And it's got like a main, like Boulder's building, like there's an entryway and you go up to the different apartments. So I'm, I'm yeah. not sure if they, I'm not sure if they changed locations or if my memory is just crap, but I seem to remember in Squeeze that she yeah. kind of lived more like in a housey kind of apartment. Yeah. So it was an apartment, so, but it was like on the bottom floor and it did have more of a house construction. Like maybe it was like. Yeah, so maybe she's moved. I don't know. Yeah, but. it's possible that she's moved. Her apartment does look kind of different too in season two and season. Well, like okay. from when we see like her family there in Beyond the Sea, like it seems to be a different apartment than she has in season two with like Colony and Endgame. So I don't know if she moved or yeah, I don't know what happened. Yeah, maybe they just lost location and people people aren't going to care. I mean, Mulder's iconic poster changes from like season think the first season but the second it changes at some point because they wanted something that was easier to market i guess they didn't have the rights to market the original poster or something mm-hmm. kind of like i don't think they had the rights to the ufo folder. yeah well i think the original the ufo was crooked yes it was kind of like actually like at an angle and then now it's like the iconic like if you've ever seen our episode art that is the ufo they use but i did not use that art i made my own art so mm-hmm. but that is the that is the original ufo that they use from one of the other original ufos because the photo that that ufo originally appears in is actually not the same background that is in the poster or is in our episode art. Yeah. Just for clarity. So. So back at the Hogan, Mulder is seated with some of the Navajo around a fire and he's got like a blanket wrapped around his shoulders. And Albert is next to him and he tells him that he must end the ceremony correctly. Once he leaves, he cannot do any work, change clothes or bathe for four days. And Mulder jokes that it's really going to cut into his social life. And some of the men laugh. And Albert tells Mulder that the boys have a gift for him. And so one of the boys stands up and he hands Mulder this handmade pouch and it's got a feather tied to it. And he opens it and it's filled with sunflower seeds. Apparently Mulder asked for them during his worst fevers. And Mulder says during his fevers, he left and he traveled to a place. And Albert says that it's this place and Mulder carries it inside of him. It is the origin place. And he's like, it wasn't a dream. And Albert says, yes. So it it was very, very enigmatic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So Albert rubs the sand to clear away the drawing he made earlier. And then he stands and he tells Mulder he's done now. And so the rest of the guys get up and leave. Yep. They apparently actually had a real sand artist come in and make two versions. One that they like covered like in an epoxy. So it wouldn't, if it got bumped, it wouldn't get messed up. Oh, nice. And then, and then a regular one for him to to wipe at the end of the ceremony. Oh, nice. Because those act like almost like as, I'm going to be appropriate. They're, they're kind of like portals. They're like how you get in touch with the spirit world and stuff like that. So you got you to make sure you close it when you're done. Yes, so, that yeah. makes sense. And I thought that the pouch scene with the sunflower seeds, I thought that was super sweet. I thought that was cute um, and kind of touching yeah. other than, you know, the weird appropriateness of the blessing way and everything else going is Mulder's, on. But that was is Mulder just supposed to wear the blanket for four days? Because like... <laughs> I saw that and I'm like, well, he can't change clothes, but does he get to put clothes on one time? Like, is there like an exception where you like yeah, get we dressed? Don't know. Um, we don't know if he's naked under that blanket. I, I think he's or... naked. I think he's naked. So, so yeah. yeah, it's going to be a little awkward. He's not kidding about it cutting into his social life. Yeah, or, hey, it might improve his social life. Who knows? So anyway, so then Skinner in his office and his phone rings. He picks it up and it's Scully. And she's like, I know you came to my apartment. You must have wanted to see me about something. What was it? And he's like, 
I don't know what you're talking about. And she's like, I saw you coming to my building. And he's like, obviously you made a mistake. Sorry. And he hangs up. And then someone is in his office apparently. Yes. And he's like, I need to get some air. And he leaves and we see it's a cigarette smoking man sitting directly across from him at his desk, smoking a cigarette and watches him leave. So, yeah. Hmm. She can just call Skinner's office directly from outside the building. That seems weird from the law enforcement agency point of view. So like she'd have to go like through like an operator or like his receptionist or something, just directly call him. She probably has his direct line. I mean, he's her I boss. know, but from outside the building, that does seem weird that you oh, have. Okay. Yeah, I don't know. I guess I don't. Being the FBI headquarters to have like direct outside access to like interior lines seems strange. So, but I could be wrong. I don't know. The government's not that great doing their job most of the time. So who knows? Skinner's reaction does say otherwise, but they could have ended that scene differently and left it ambiguous because maybe it wasn't Skinner. I mean, you've established shapeshifters. Like use that. Trust no one. Like, you know, come on. Oh, I, th- I think they will. I think that's going like to come you're up. You're supposed to be a conspiracy theory show in secrets. Like, use them once in a while. I think that's going to come up so much in season three. You're going to wish that you had not just said that. So, okay. Right. We'll see. <laughs> I but think I mean, so. Obvi- but obviously, from his reaction, it was him, right? Yeah, it was. Yeah. And so. I think we're supposed to get that he's lying about it because obviously the cigarette smoking man's right there. And so he's not going to tell yeah. her whatever it was that he We've was. We've got to telegraph to the cigarette smoking man that Skinner is lying. So, thereby telegraphing it to the audience. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. But I feel like it would be cooler. Like, just, hey, you know, I mean, maybe they figure after four months, no one, I guess, longer than four months since we've seen a shapeshifter, but like, no one's going to remember shapeshifters. But um, your audience is smarter than you think sometimes, Chris Carter. So, anyway. So then we get another shot of the starry sky, and this time we get Mulder's voiceover because we haven't had enough stars and voiceovers yet. So Mulder tells us he's been on a bridge that spans two worlds. And then he says, You were looking for a truth that now binds us together in dangerous purpose. I've returned from the dead to continue this journey with you, but I fear the danger may be too close at hand and I may be too late. And then Scully jolts awake and she kind of sits reflecting on that. So this is where I don't know if I've mentioned it before. I probably have, but I do have this theory. I think, yeah, I think it has come up, but I have this theory that Scully is actually kind of psychic and doesn't want to believe it and is in complete denial and I think that's part of why, like, what happens in Beyond the Sea happens. And I think this is just kind of more, more evidence that Scully has some psychic ability that she does not want to believe exists. Yeah, so this scene is... was also ridiculous and awful. Yeah, I didn't mind this one because it was short. I have a question for you, though, because when this scene came on, so we see this, it's the same starry night we see in all the other ones, right? When Mulder comes, when we're dealing like with Mulder and like, you know, the healing ceremony, that kind of stuff, right? And then we get Mulder's voiceover. And then... As Mulder comes into view, because it's all super digi, right? Like he comes in and then we see like David Duchovny, like just like from the chest up, like in the shot talking. So it's not completely voiceover, right? But when he first starts to appear, I thought it was going to be UFO because like the light is hitting his hair or something. And so like you see like the lights in his hair. It looks like lights are starting to form like a disc or something. And then I'm like, oh my God, is it going to be UFO? And then it just, it's David Duchovny's hair. And then <laughs> it's, it's David, David Duchovny. <laughs> David Duchovny <laughs> is the UFO. <laughs> he was the UFO all along. <laughs> oh, David Duchovny was a UFO all along. <laughs> yeah, it does. It does kind of look like a UFO. Yeah. Yeah. But no, this was ridiculous. Yeah. It was, yeah. All this. It's all, what's, what makes it worse is all this voiceover dialogue. One of the books that we use, he, he's talking about, you know how important it is to come back from the from the from the cliffhanger from last time from Anasazi, 
and how that you're expecting all this stuff to happen and then what we get most of this episode is like a voiceovers and like people mm-hmm. flying through the sky on like beds of leaves and stuff yeah and he's like and he's like it's like i could grant that if we didn't have to deal with like the teenage angst dialogue that we get every everybody he, and he's particularly talking about the the speech that deep throat gives he's like he feels bad for jerry harden having to like recite that and so it's just kind of funny because it is like totally like overwritten stuff yeah like, oh it's super overwritten it's, yeah and when Mulder's like funny. binds us together in dangerous purpose i just think of loki and like i am burned yeah. with glorious and then, purpose, like, and then like, he's like i've returned from the dead to continue this journey with you i know yeah it's but i pretty... fear this danger may be too close it's like oh my god and like and like we didn't we didn't go into all the stuff that like deep throat and his dad say but all that no, stuff is probably even worse than that yeah so, it's a yeah, lot it's and pretty, it's pretty yeah, ridiculous it's just, it's just kind of funny it's like, yeah yeah a little a little flowery so so then we are at the garden of reflection parkway cemetery in boston massachusetts and there's a priest saying we gather here today to mourn the passing of william Mulder." and so we have an overhead shot of like the grave and people gathered around it and we kind of like slowly like you know, come into the scene, zoom in a little bit. And Mulder's mother, who I guess her full name is Elizabeth Tina Coolpers Mulder, which is a mouthful. Um, she's alone at the front and then like other people around behind her. And the priest mentions that he's sadly been informed by the mother of William's children that his son Fox could not be here today. And then after the service, Scully stops Tina and introduces herself. He's like, hi, I work with your son. And then she tells Mrs. Mulder that she has a strong feeling that Mulder is going to be found. And Tina's like, how do you know this? And Scully's just like, I just have a really strong feeling. And then meanwhile, we see the person that we're calling the well-manicured man among the mourners. And we see that he's watching Scully and Tina talk. Mm -hmm. And then it's commercial. I was wondering if the cigarette smoking man was going to show up at the funeral, but I guess that would be a little much, especially since Scully. Yeah. So. Yes. Well, I think, yeah. Yeah. Be too many. Um, I'm not sure. I don't. I don't know how I feel about this because there's there's two sides to this. So my original thought is like, is that really something that you tell to someone you've never met before at the funeral of their ex or at least estranged husband? We don't know if they're divorced or not, but I believe they together, are right? because her ex husband was just murdered and their son is missing, and you're like, I think your son might be alive. Don't know how, but I think he might be. Like I don't, that just seems like something you don't say at a funeral. Like, well, I think I mean, she purposely sought her out at the funeral to let her know because she didn't know, know where else to find her. Just, it's just weird. I don't. It just seems weird to me. I think it's a weird situation, but I, I totally get wanting to be like, look, I think Mulder's alive, and like, especially because she knows there's going to be a conspiracy working to try, you know, working against them, and so I think maybe having her this is someone you've never that. even met before, yeah, and you're going to go her and son. tell her, and, like her know. son is missing, her husband is dead. Like she's obviously got like emotions going on, and then you yeah. you may possibly give, be giving her false hope at that. That's maybe, my thing. but she's not so, telling I mean, her for sure. She's. I mean, saying, we know like, it's I not false hope because we know Mulder is alive, yeah. but it's like it just seems wonky. I mean, obviously Tina doesn't really seem that bothered by it because no. she's like her Tina's acting. Pretty scene, stoic. Yeah, her acting in this scene is pretty like she has like zero emotion like on anything, and then like later we're gonna see she's like, oh, okay, thank you for that information, and like shakes Gully's hand and leaves. It's like weird but anyway well um, i mean this is a woman who lost her daughter who's you know has been through a whole bunch of turmoil 
and you know is now burying her ex-husband and the father of her children and her son is missing and presumed dead i think she's just one of those people who keeps that all in and doesn't what i did think was kind of there's two things i thought was kind of funny in this scene so one of them i actually made a note of and it's in the notes and you see it right now but the other thing is that the priest does say that he's been informed by the mother of william's children that his son will not be here today and like he doesn't even mention her by name i guess because they're divorced you're not allowed to do that but like when he says that she kind of looks up at him like what are you t- like 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 that you couldn't say my name or something it, it was kind of funny i don't know what the intention was yeah but it seemed kind of funny because like they obviously won't say her name but then the other thing is when we're when we're in the overhead shot and we're and we're zooming in the dude standing behind her like totally looks up at the camera and it's like oh yeah i'm not supposed to look at the camera and looks away it's hilarious <laughs> anyway nice yeah spiked the camera <laughs> <laughs> it was kind of good anyway it was actually the best part of the scene in my opinion but anyway <laughs> And I think this part is the best part. Well, that's not part of that scene. It's after the commercial. No, no. But this part is the part of this whole situation that we're in. Okay. So we come back to the well-manicured man watching Scully and Tina Mulder. And Scully promises to let Tina know anything as soon as she does. So Scully heads for her car And the well-manicured man is standing near it. And he says, hello, I see you're a friend of the family. So am I. And he asks if she has a moment to speak. And she asks about what, and he says something very important, but he wants to speak away from the others. So Scully and the well-manicured man walk away, and he tells her that he couldn't help but overhear her conversation. Because I think part of why Scully sought her out at the funeral is it's probably a place that, like, they could talk without being overheard and then they get overheard anyway. So he asked Scully, you think the son is still alive? And Scully asks who he is. And he says he runs a consortium that represents global interests. And she asks what kind of interests? And he says interests that would be threatened by the contents of a certain digital tape. Threatened enough to murder, she asks. And he's like, oh my, yes. I love that. I love that. <laughs> no, I love he's that. great. I love that. I love it. And he has a British accent yeah, as well. Which I'm so not like he's like, he's like butcher, but oh my, yes. It's just, it's fantastic. I love it anyway. And Scully asks what he knows about Mulder, and the well-manicured man says that he knows Mulder is dead. And Scully says that he's lying. And he says that he's not there to tell her lies. He's there to tell her that her life is in danger too. And she's like, leave me alone. <laughs> and the well-manicured man tells her that they'll kill her one of two ways. They'll send someone possibly two men to kill her in her home with an unregistered weapon that will be left at the scene and using false documents, they'll be out of the country in less than two hours. And Scully's like, okay, you said there were two ways. And the well-manicured man tells her that the other is that someone she trusts will arrange a meeting or come to her house or wherever she's staying unexpectedly. And Scully's like, why kill me? And the well-manicured man says that she wants something they don't, justice. And because they're certain she doesn't have the computer copy of the files they're seeking. And Scully's like, why are you protecting me? And well-manicured man feels his colleagues are acting impulsively, and Scully's death will draw unnecessary attention. And so she realizes he's only protecting himself. And the well-manicured man says that motives are rarely unselfish. And she asks what kind of business he's in. And he says, we predict the future. 
And the best way to predict the future is to invent it. And then he's like, good day, young lady. And he walks away. Yep, I love, oh man, he's my favorite. He's really good. Yeah. Yeah. And also it's kind of like, he warns her that someone she knows might be sent to kill her. And then it's like, but Skinner was at her apartment. (gasps) Could it be? I mean, (laughs) you know, a shapeshifter could definitely pose as someone, you know, who's close to you. Yeah. You know? Would be anybody. We know they have access. Well, I guess we don't know they have access to alien assassins because we don't know that they're connected at this point. Right. I mean, I guess we don't know they're connected at all. I mean, maybe we'll find out, but yeah. I assume they're connected. They almost all dress alike. So, you know. But um, I do want to discuss method two more later, like at the end. Okay. So we'll kind of do like the little pin in it for the uh, method number two someone you know action so spotness is says the well manicured man was created as sort of a white knight to the cigarette smoky man's black knight so that's why he's warning scully because he's kind of like the other side of that coin and he is played by john neville in kind of a sideways nod to the kalashari he is possibly best known outside the theater world he's like big in like the london theater and then he emigrated to Canada and then was in the Canadian theater world. Um, but he's probably best known outside of all that for playing the title role in Telly Gilliam's The Adventures of Baron Munchausen. Mm-hmm. We have Munchausen syndrome. Um, there actually was a real Baron Munchausen, and that's where the syndrome got its name from. Mm-hmm. So He was originally apparently only hired for two episodes, this one and then Paperclip. But he's actually going to reappear in several X-Files episodes and in the first movie. Yeah. So. He becomes a pretty big role. So then we're at Martha's Vineyard in West Tisbury, Massachusetts. We know who lives. Well, we know who used to live there. Anyway, so Tina arrives at her ex-husband's house and she comes in and she's looking at some family photos on the wall. And there's a, like a huge photo of the kid who played Mulder in Little Green Men. So they actually use the same kids. So mm-hmm. kind of good. And then Mulder appears behind her and is like, Mom. And they hug. And she's like, oh, I expected the worst. And he's like, I need your help. I don't have much time. I need you to remember. And I'm like, that sounds like something a shapeshifter would say. (laughs) There's no shapeshifters in this episode. (laughs) You're going to be very disappointed (laughs) because you keep thinking there are and there are not. Well, we think there's no shapeshifters. Maybe they're really good shapeshifters and they don't don't reveal themselves. Maybe, maybe. Oh, we do finally get some emoting from Mrs. Mulder, which is nice. So she actually does show some emotion which is kind of good so he takes her into an attic and or maybe a storage area we're not sure i'm guessing attic but it could be just a closet we don't know and he shows her some photos that are in a box and he wants to know who the people are and tina like shakes her head and saying it was so long ago and he's like these pictures were taken in 1972 and i need to know where they were taken and she's like i don't know and he's like dad worked for the state department and he had to go on the road for his job where would he go and she's like I don't remember. And he's like, at least look at the photos. And then he gets angry and he starts yelling at her. And she's like, don't do this to me. And then she admits that some of those men sometimes came over to the house, but she no longer remembers their names. And she's like, what does this have to do with anything, Mulder? And he says, I think it has to do with Sam. And then he like puts the photo back in the box and he pulls out a gun that was in there, like a revolver. So, mm-hmm. mm. But yeah, Mulder, why don't you yell at your mom some more? Jesus Christ. Oh my God, dude, seriously. Also, uh, this might be considered work and what kind of clothes are those? Has it been four days? You might be messing things up, Mulder. Come on. 
don't know. I don't know. <laughs> You're not following the rules, buddy. Yeah. You're not following the rules. Yeah. So I don't think we mentioned this in Colony because her scene in Colony is really short. But Tina Mulder is played by Rebecca Tulin. And she will actually appear in 10 X-Files episodes as Mulder's mom. She was also on episodes of The Commish, MacGyver, The Outer Limits. She was on a lot of other TV shows. Not Supernatural? She, she was not on Supernatural. We did get The Commission, and The Outer now. Limits, though. So we did get that. Yeah. She did have a recurring role on a Hallmark mystery series called Murder, She Baked. And she's played Mrs. Claus on two different holiday TV movies. I can see and she that. does kind of have like a Mrs. Claus yeah, look. I can see I can that. See that for I'm sure, guessing yeah. probably like on the Hallmark Channel or the Lifetime Channel, but still. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked previously about photos they use on the X Files, right? Mm-hmm. There's like the photo of the UFO reflected on the sheriff's car in, oh man, what episode was that? Was that in, I think that was an EBE. And yeah. then we, ha- we had the photo in Fresh Bones that was horribly, horribly Yeah, that one was done. bad. This one's not great either. But my question is like, so we've got a photo of like, I can't, I actually forgot to count it. I think it's like seven or eight dudes, right? Mm-hmm. And one of them is Deep Throat. He is the only person that we have previously seen who is not like Photoshop within an inch of their life. I don't know why, because like, the cigarette smoking man is there and he's totally photoshopped. You're almost not even sure who it's supposed to be. And then there's Bill Mulder. You can tell it's him, but he's photoshopped crazy. Mm-hmm. And then on the far end is the well-manicured man. And he's photoshopped also really bad for de-aging. And then the other two aren't photoshopped at all. But like neither is Jerry Harden, who plays Deep Throat. I, th- I think they darkened his hair a little bit, maybe. But it just seems weird that like everyone yeah. else has like been attempted to be super de-aged and then like there's deep throat looking just like deep throat in the photo you're like well okay he's like a mortal i don't know yeah i don't know <laughs> kind of weird but yeah molder like yelling at your mom dude you just came back from the dead she's so happy to see you and then you're yelling at your mom in a closet yeah that's not cool nope nope so scully gets home and her phone is ringing and it's melissa her sister who's worried about her And Scully tells her that she had to go to Boston for a funeral and that something weird happened that freaked her out. And Melissa says she wants to talk to her. And she's like, you're going to be home for a while. And Scully says, yes. And so Melissa's like, okay, I'll see you in a little bit. So she's going to head over to Scully's and Scully hangs up and her phone rings again. And when she picks it up, it clicks. And then the person hangs up. So Scully dials another number and it rings. So she's calling Melissa back and it reaches her answering machine. And she leaves a message. She's like, don't come over here. I'm going to go to your place instead. And I'll look for you on the way and try and stop you along the way. And then she pulls a gun out of her drawer and heads out. Yeah. Star 69. Calls back the number you just called. At least it in the 90s that worked. I don't think that works nowadays. But back in the day, if someone called you before you had caller ID and you wanted to know who it was, you could hit star 69 and it would dial the number they just called you. So... I don't know why she didn't do that, but and obviously Melissa just left and is on the way. Like, what is Scully doing leaving? Like, just like, I'll look for you on the way. Like, she's probably driving. I, I know. Like, I think she was hoping to catch her, but if you don't get her on the phone, just assume wait. she's already out the door, right? Yeah, like, go out, it, go outside and wait for her if you're worried about someone breaking in your do something. Yeah. Like, I don't know. I don't I mean, know. I yeah, it's not... If she's worried someone's gonna try and shoot her, I guess they could shoot her on the street. That would be yeah, easier. so it's not a but, great plan, but yeah, it's yeah. not a great system. No. And Melissa says she's been trying to get a hold of her because apparently Scully's been avoiding her since her appointment with the psychotherapist dude. And so yeah. that's what she actually wants to talk to her about because Scully hasn't said anything about it. Like, <laughs> you haven't talked to me at all since you went to the... And so, yeah. yeah. 
So Scully goes outside. I assume she's heading to her car. Yes. And it's not going to walk to Melissa's house. And <laughs> <You're so laughs> maybe she's got comfortable shoes on this time. She's ready to go. Yeah. So a car speeds up to her apartment and door opens and it's Skinner. And he's like, come with me if you want to. No, he didn't say come with me if you want to live. But he's like, stop. And he's like, get into the car. Like, so get in. We're going criming. Yeah. <laughs> We're doing And she's science. like, I'm on the way to see my sister. And he's like, I'll drop you off. I need to take you somewhere where we can talk. And then so Scully like, okay, so she like double checks the gun in her little purse and then she gets in the car and they drive mm-hmm. off. So not that, that would really help because the gun is like on her hip way down below in the car. But anyway, yeah. At least she has it. But yeah, she's nervous about getting into Skinner's car for sure. Yeah. So Scully and Skinner end up at Mulder's apartment and Scully's like going, like she's a janitor. She's going to like all these keys and one of them has a little piece of masking tape on it that says Mulder. Like she's never used it before to get in Mulder's apartment. Come on. We know what we know, Scully. You don't have to pretend with Skinner around. <laughs> well, she does oh have God. to pretend Skinner's their <laughs> boss, right? Like, yeah. Don't want so she opens the door much. with the key and she's like, after you. And so he goes in first and then boom, she pulls a gun on him. Tells him that if she turns around, she's going to blow his head off. And then she has him take two steps forward. She also takes two steps forward. That's just so she can close the door, right? So then she tells him to go over to the couch, has him turn around, and has him sit on his hands. So he's got to sit on his hands like he's in trouble. And so he complies. And he's like, are you going to ask me why I asked you to come here? And she says, I know why. And I want to know whose errand boy you are. And Skinner's like, no one sent me. And Scully sits down on the chair opposite Skinner and tells him that he has the rest of his life to give her answers. Which, you know, I guess, like, that's as long as you want it to be. You can tell me or you cannot tell me anyway yep yeah your life yeah that's it you got it yeah so then of course she didn't get the message so melissa is on the stairs of scully's building and we can see inside like someone is in scully's apartment so melissa opens the door and a gun goes off and melissa slumps to the ground and Krychek comes over and he stands over her and he turns the body over realizes that it's not scully and he's like oh no and the man with him is Lewis Cardinal. And he's like, what? And Crycheck's like, let's get out of here. And so Cardinal drops the gun near Melissa's head and they leave. Yeah. So, God damn it, Crycheck. You little weasel, Crycheck. This oh! is where I got a text from ah. Corey. I was like, damn it, Crycheck. Damn it, Crycheck. You little bastard. Of course. And like, I know, like, it's pretty unclear who fires the shot. It could be Luis. It could be. Alex Krychek, like it's not, but they're both in there to kill Scully and they do shoot Melissa. So, you know, screw them both, but especially you, Krychek, especially you. If you listen to our Terminus episodes, which why wouldn't you? Yeah, come on, guys. You remember that I told Tori I was expecting a text and I got that text. Yeah. Yeah. Tori (sighs) mentioned how she liked Melissa and was wondering if she couldn't remember if she actually shows up again later in other episodes. And I, and I was like, Melissa would be a really good recurring character, but the writers don't seem to agree with me. But, yeah, uh, <laughs> she would be, unfortunately. I mean, she's she's just been shot at this point, so we don't know if she she might pull through. Oh, Mulder, that's true, huh? I'm kind of, yeah, I'm kind of. But okay, uh, yeah, um, it's not likely, although it does seem like she's dead when they leave her on the floor. So anyway, cry check sucks. <laughs> yeah. So there is. So it is very ambiguous who shoots her. So. Mm-hmm. So if you read on the internet, 
it will kind of sound like Louis Cardinal shoots her. And we should mention, he is the guy who played the older janitor in Fearful Symmetry. We mentioned oh, yeah. how he's not credited in that episode because he's Hispanic. He does get credit in this one as Hispanic man, even though he, he doesn't get named in this episode, but he does get named later. But I think he is actually credited as Hispanic man in every episode. Never actually gets credited by his name, which is used in later episodes. Ugh. Anyway, so. Yeah, and I rolled my eyes really hard, which I realized no one could see. So I should just say I rolled my eyes really hard. Yeah. So when we see the gunshot, there's like a muzzle flash. And then we cut and Melissa falls to the ground, right? Mm -hmm. So then we see a shadow come out from behind like the wardrobe where the person was standing who shot Melissa. And that person is Krychek. Right. And then behind Krychek, we see someone come from the other side of the room, like behind a lamp. Mm -hmm. And that person is Lewis. Yeah. Lewis is the one, however, who drops the gun. Yeah. So it seems like he's the one who shot him. Oh, he wasn't in the location. Mm-hmm. that you would be to shoot him it would be Crycheck. Right. but woo 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 modern technology i froze the frame on the muzzle flash it's neither of them it's apparently some stunt guy who uses the gun <laughs> what's funny is that alex Crycheck, or i'm sorry alex Crycheck doesn't exist nicholas lee mm-hmm. does kind of joke that he shot his girlfriend because he was dating the actress who played Melissa. yeah they met the on the commish and they were dating at this time mm-hmm. and he, so he says it yeah he actually doesn't mean like in the x-files it's always it's always ambiguous who shot her but he kind of um, takes credit for he it he takes credit so. for it based on positioning it would be him right because yeah. even though it's weird that Lewis is the one who drops the gun. Yeah, Lewis so. has the gun, but like, yeah, and it does, it would make sense. And like, again, Krychek is that guy we all love to hate, right? So like, of course, he can be the one who's like, also shot Scully's sister because he's a rat bastard. Yeah. But I froze, I realized it was a muzzle flash. So I'm like, oh, dude, I could freeze it and see who it was that <laughs> shot him. And it's neither <laughs> it's of them. It's not the actor. It's, <laughs> it's someone guy. who is dressed similarly, right? And he looks, he mm-hmm. looks vaguely Asian. I, I don't want to be racist, but he looks vaguely Asian. However, like he's not wearing the right colors that either of them are wearing. Yeah. So it's definitely like a stunt dude who was using the gun. And then and also like just from like when you if you look at the scene, how they're framed, because we do like we see the shot and then it cuts to Melissa. And then we cut back to the same shot where Krychek comes up from behind the wardrobe in the shadow. Mm-hmm. He is much closer than the person who was shooting was the person mm-hmm. is like back against the wall. So he's not even yeah. in the right place there either. But yeah, it's not. I guess we could probably say it's Krychek, but yeah. technically it's neither of them. It's someone I'm, else. I'm going to blame Krychek. So it's Krychek's so, fault. Yeah. I'm blaming him. But it is weird. Him. It is, like, yeah. yeah there's, there's, there's nothing, honestly, nothing in the scene kind of makes sense about who did the shooting. So, but if you read the internet, it most most of the internet seems to confer that it was Lewis who shot it. Because, which makes sense because he had the gun. Right, Even though yeah. he's not technically in the right place. And then. Yeah, and Nick Lee, Lee says it was Crycheck, and I'm just going to blame Crycheck because it's more fun that way. Yeah. Which I realize Nick Lee does make sense. We in our terminus we discussed like I was saying Leah because L E A. Like I don't say Tia, I say T. So yeah, it's spelled the same way as T. Yeah, so that makes it sense. is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Nick Lee. Yeah, there's lots probably... of things I realized when I was editing the uh, terminus episodes that like I forgot to say or I had realizations afterwards. I'm not sure. I have like a terminus on the terminus. I don't know. But anyway, it's the joy of a podcast <laughs> is that you say things and then you listen back later and you're like, what was I thinking? Like, or why didn't I just come to this conclusion, which is obvious as yeah. I'm talking. Or just like realizations that like, oh, now I see. But also like we're doing this. I mean, like we're not doing this live, but like as we're talking, it's live. And so yeah. 
you don't necessarily make well you know like we watch the episode we write notes we think about it for a while and then like you come back later and you're like oh right like no i should have realized and i have occasionally like skipped over my own notes or also had a realization during the episode and then as we keep going forget to mention it later because it wasn't a good place to stick it in so yeah it happens anyway we're trying (laughs) send us your thoughts on who shot melissa we'll do like a poll or something on twitter so Skinner, meanwhile, tells Scully that if she shoots him, she'll be doing their job for them and she'll spend her life behind bars. There isn't a federal judge they can't persuade. And Scully asks what the alternative is. Let him kill her. And Skinner says that he didn't come to kill her. He wants to give her something. And Skinner says he has the digital tape. And Scully's like, you're lying. And Skinner's like, nope, it's in my pocket. I took it out of Mulder's desk. And then they both see this shadow moving in the hall from under Mulder's door. (gasps) And Skinner uses Scully's distraction to pull his own gun. And then they're basically sitting there with guns aimed at each other in a standoff. And we get to be continued again. 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 But you only have to wait one week this time. You don't have to wait a whole agonizing summer. So that's good. That's good. And then to be continued disappears. And we get executive producer Chris Carter, mm-hmm. and then that disappears, and then we get in memoriam Larry Wells, 1946 to 1995. He apparently was the costume designer mm-hmm. on the series, so he passed away. Yeah. Before I'm, I don't know if he worked on these episodes, and he passed away in the interim. I didn't look it up to see like what yeah. his date actually was. So I didn't either, but yeah. And I didn't look to see if he was credited as the costume designer this episode either. Um freaking lazy which is too bad because scully looked really nice that first scene she looked good (laughs) so this is so like you know we've waited all summer we get together it's like friday night we're all excited right x-files on you're gonna find out what happened how Mulder survived and then they they don't even explain it at all like there's nothing they did all this like I mean, you could have cut the blessing way, the Scully psychotherapist stuff. That could have just been cut out straight up. But, like, they just don't even try to, like, have Mulder, like, squeeze out of a door or a side door or a trap door in the floor of the train car or anything to explain how he got out of there. Because, no. like, we know we didn't come out the top. We would have seen him. Yeah. Well, that's the weird thing is that, I mean, we talked about it in Anasazi how it's it's tv right so it's like it's a gasoline fire it's like oh it's an explosion but it's just it's like a michael bay thing right you just make a bunch of gasoline go off it looks like a huge explosion it doesn't really do anything so you have to have like air stuff or like actual like other demolitions later to make things like break apart right and to their credit cigarette smoking man does say burn it he doesn't say blow it up he says burn it so they right. throw in an incendiary device right and so it is fire so it makes sense but like the car is not like blown apart so why right. is molder under a bunch of rubble Right. It's not like it exploded and then he was thrown clear or something. So like yeah. what you would think is that and when they go in there and they don't see him, like I thought maybe he was hiding under some alien bodies, but then he would be in there during the fire. But mm-hmm. then like there are alien bodies under the rocks where he is too. So like Yeah. I think I talked about this in Terminus part two, but like I have this really strong memory of Mulder like finding a door in the train car and heading through like a tunnel on train tracks. Well, I think we actually talked about this in Anasazi because I think we kind of came up with some ideas of how maybe it was going to happen and we were going to wait and find out. Yeah. I think that's what what we talked about it. But uh, Okay. But so I mentioned that. And then there's a scene in the next episode with some train tracks with them running down like a tunnel. So I think maybe I conflated that memory in my head. 
And I think that's where that came from. But like, it just, I'm just like, come on, you made us wait all summer to find out how Mulder survived. And you don't even give us a, a single thing of him, like getting out some weird trap door in the bottom or which, I mean, obviously they're going to gas a bunch of aliens in there. There's not going to be way out, but like they had to, they could have done something. They could have had some kind of door, some kind of gap, something where he gets out into the rocks before the fight. I don't know. Cause honestly, that's the, that's the only explanation that works. Like they go in, they don't see him. So like you said, there's two options. He is not in the car or he is hiding behind or under bodies, which would be gross. Right. But he is right. right? Cause he doesn't want to get caught. I mean, I guess if your alternative is get caught and shot by a bunch of army dudes or hide under some dead aliens that have been there for possibly like 40 years, years you'd probably go and go with the aliens. Right. But like, those are the only two options. He's either in there or he's not in there. And so if, but the fire means, well, he obviously could not have been in there. So then how is he not in there? Like we said, like, you know, they buried a freaking train car. There's probably some gap. Right. And so like, is there a door that he could have jumped out, close the door and he's hiding a little crevice, whatever. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I wish they would have just included that at some point instead of all the other stuff that they include. Cause it just would have given us some idea. And like, again, it's TV. It's totally hand waved. There's a lot of hand waving going on in this episode. We just have to, I guess, accept things and move on with our lives. But I do wish that they had at least tried to give us something so that it didn't feel so much like how's Mulder going to survive and then we get there and it's like he's under some rocks somehow and we're never going to explain why or how yeah <laughs> good luck anyway here's 20 minutes of a fake Navajo ritual and Mulder seeing people in the sky oh, uh, bad G yeah some terrible dialogue anyway so <laughs> it's kind of funny though because like we're talking about how like they totally hand waved like the whole like how did Mulder survive right and like the books that I'm reading, like, you know, the mo- especially like the Monster of the Week, which is like the one I would talk about, like, it's like super gushy gushy, right? They do it where there's the two episodes together, right? They do them as, as one thing. So, Blessing Way and Paperclip. And it's like the longest essay that I've read in the book so far. It's like three pages where most of them are like one page. <laughs> she starts out with like, we have big expectations. And then she admits that they don't mention it at all. And then she goes on to just like, hand wave the entire episode and then goes on to talk about how great paperclip is (laughs) (laughs) i mean okay so here's the thing and just spoiler alert i love paperclip i think paperclip's really good i think the blessing way suffers because it is part two of three right it's the middle and so when you're telling a story the middle tends to be like slower fewer things happen you get some progress you don't get a ton of progress because you're just you're not really introducing a bunch of new stuff so much as you're kind of dealing with the ramifications of what already happened and getting towards what's going to happen and the conclusion. So it's just kind of a, it's kind of a slow episode. Not a lot really actually happens. Like it's our discussion went on for a long time, but really all that happens is Mulder's found in the desert. Albert saves his butt and Scully discovers she has a piece of metal in her neck. And then Scully's sister gets shot because she also finds out she has a hit on her and Alex Krychek is an incompetent idiot. Um, so, I mean, that's all that really happens. So it's not a lot for 45 minutes. And so, like, it's just a, they could have at least given us something to kind of, I mean, they yeah. could have, I could think of five ways they could have done that. And I would have gone like, okay, I can ignore the fact that this train car that was used as like a gas chamber had like a second door that they couldn't get to. Cause it's been years. Maybe he could like wedge it open or something. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it's rusty. Yeah. You could have done that. And so I just wish. Or also could. when someone throws in a bunch of cans of gas at you and you're like fighting for your life, 
you know, might not be thinking straight. And, and to find this and, door, and, and or can't use door or your little aliens and you're weak and you can't turn it or, you know, who knows? right. I mean, there's ways, there were ways to do it. And so I just wish yeah. they had. So that was my big disappointment. In this episode it's just like we don't get anything. We just get Mulder under rocks. No. no way of how he got there. It's fine. He's still alive. Be happy that Fox isn't dead and we can have more X-Files. Yay. Yeah. Which I mean, I am happy that that's true. I just wish that they had. Yeah, it was better. super. Yeah, they super cheated the crap out of that. Yeah, yeah, they did. Which I didn't expect them to give us something super believable, but they could have at least tried. No, but I mean, like what we came up with is like as good as <laughs> it's that's as good get, as right? it's going to get. Yeah, and it would have worked. Because even that, like we mentioned, has some plot holes in it. Like, why didn't the aliens use that when they got right? The, which which lets us know how they didn't just put dead bodies in there. Although it's right. weird because they're they're all kind of stacked up. So. Did someone go in later and do? I don't, I don't know, but it looks like they actually died in that train yeah, car. They did. So, yeah. Yeah. Anyway, and I mentioned this earlier that after Anastasia's Navajo reached out to Chris Carter and were like, oh, "Hey, white dude, you're kind of getting all this stuff wrong. Maybe you should come like hang out with us a little bit, so you could at least get a little more idea of how our culture works." So, to his credit, Chris Carter did go talk to a lot of them. He met them. And they did like a ritual with him so that he could see kind of how like one of their peyote rituals work, not the blessing way that doesn't exist, but it gave them some ideas of how their rituals work so that he could then kind of incorporate that into his thing. I'm not saying it's not still racist and appropriative. I'm just saying that at least he made an effort (laughs) when these people reached out and he tried to at least learn and take some of, take some of that back and bring it in. So yeah. Although next episode, he's going to appropriate some more stuff. So yeah. I mean, you know, it's a white dude writing, indigenous culture that he obviously does not have any real experience with and instead of getting one of those people what he should have done was say hey you're right how about you come work for me and get on the writing staff here but you know whatever (laughs) who knows yeah (sighs) anyway yep so i did we had a little pin i think this is what we're going to probably end on because i think we're we're, we we said a lot during the episode and then we've kind of just wrapped up now so but I did mention that I wanted to talk a little bit about death number two, right? The option of where like someone close to you is going to kill you, right? Right. The conspiracy theory person in me thinks, I mean, I mentioned like, oh, that would be really easy like for a shapeshifter to do, right? Because a shapeshifter can totally become like a person close to you and then they would kill you. But also it's just a super paranoia thing. It could be like, right. it could be total gaslighting, like making sure that you don't trust anybody so that you're isolated and it's easier for us to kill you. So even though like mm-hmm. I'm kind of telling you, hey, you got a, a warrant out on you, basically, um, I'm not like I'm going to help you, but I'm also maybe going to just make your life a little more miserable, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Because then you don't, you can't trust anybody because like, right. oh, so-and-so showed up to talk to me. They could be there to kill me. Mm-hmm. Right? Melissa could have been there to kill her. We don't know. Maybe Melissa's in on it. Well, we know it was and maybe Crycheck and Louise. Maybe Crycheck saved Scully because Scully is in on it, and Melissa found out it was going to kill her, and so Crycheck had to kill Melissa to save Scully because <laughs> Scully's now his boss. And so I don't, I don't think so, but it's an interesting theory. Um, yeah, I think it is supposed to be just that Louise and Crycheck are the assassins, but that is exactly why we end up in the standoff, right? Because Scully doesn't think she can trust Skinner anymore, and so yeah. she was warned. She knows Skinner was at her apartment, and then he lied to her. So now, and then she has this guy telling her, oh, yep, they could send someone you know. Like, of course, she's going to be like, yeah, they sent Skinner. I'm not saying he's being deceptive, but it also is like a total, like, total gaslight of like. Oh, yeah. 
No, all your is. friends, all your, it could be any of your friends. We have, we have our, we have our fingers in every pie. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. Oh, I guess we have to do ratings. No, we do ratings on this. I forgot. Yes, we do do ratings. We do do ratings. We do do. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> um, I'm four. Yeah. That's okay. Um. So I, huh. this one's be hard honest. because. Well, it's hard because it's like it's not hard. Be honest. It, it is hard because it's your part. Feelings, Tori. It's part two of three. Like I said, it's the middle, right? Like so, it's there's a three part story. This is the centerpiece. It is not a great centerpiece, but I don't think it's awful. I do like Scully finding the metal. I like Skinner in this episode a lot. I think he's really great, and of course, like the well manicured man in Secret Smoking Man are always pretty great. Um, I like the cigarette smoking man, like straight up lying to the people he's working with. Like he's d- he did that in the first episode too, like in Anasazi, where he was like, "Yeah, it's under control. We got all the files." And like now he's telling them, "Oh yeah, we have the dad tape. It's all good." And you know that may come back to bite him. I'm just saying, but because it's the middle part, and because so little happens, and it's so much of this filler nonsense instead of like actual stuff, I think it's not that great. So I'm gonna give it like a five. Because I think it's very middling. Five. Yeah. I mean, I mean, five is middling. If you're it is, it is very middling. So, so it's very five. Okay. Well, I am gonna go with. I'm gonna go with a two. Honestly. Okay. Yeah. I was I was thinking three. I think three is too generous. There's a couple of tasty morsels like slathered in between a bunch of shit. Honestly, yeah. and like I don't want to eat the shit sandwich. So, yeah, I think it's just I'm giving it more points because it does come. But it is like part of the Anasazi paperclip thing. And like, I think those episodes are very solid. Well, yeah, but, but you can be part of something and be the weak link. And it is the weak, link. the weak link. Yeah, it is. So. It 100 percent is. So, yeah, that's why. But it's, it's getting a little boost by being part of that story. It's, it's just not the good part of that story. So No quarter, no quarter. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Well, we seem to be starting off on brand. I gave it a two and you gave it a five. So I'm yeah. much lower than you. So yeah. Some things never change. But next week we get part three, which is paperclip, which is the conclusion to all this nonsense. Yeah. So that will be different and hopefully better. I mean, we have talked many times about because we give the ratings every episode gives and i kind of like sort of joking kind of not joking but also mainly joking that maybe we should just stop doing that because like the ratings they get they're not really a indication of the quality of the episode no they're, they're just an indication of how many people watched it right oh, and oh so, i see the ratings the actual tv ratings the tv ratings yeah the okay. viewership yeah and so like not our ratings our ratings are the gospel right i mean that's <laughs> the truth so especially mine but we did mention at the opening that this is the highest rated X-Files episode of all time so far, but it's also the highest rated episode of this season. And I wonder if a lot of people tuned in to find out what's going on. It was like, oh, the show. <laughs> and, just, <laughs> and like, you know, I mean, I know X-Files does, it, it, it is going to sub- substantially grow. And we talked about this. We, you, you couldn't remember at what point it started to wane. I think it actually has increasing numbers every season until I think season seven. Okay. That would make sense. So, yeah. So it does, it does continue growth. Like 
the um, like the level of growth varies obviously but it does like you know the second season had better numbers than the first season did the third's gonna have more than the second the fourth's gonna have more than the third so it is the viewership does increase every season until we get there to the end which makes sense right i mean mm-hmm. to the back end and things fall apart so it does have a pretty good run so yeah but i do i do wonder if like a lot of people tuned in yeah. and then they were like mm, no yeah you know what that's what you're doing because yeah. the next the next episode does drop off about 10% roughly and then there's like another 10% drop after that and then we kind of get like a like a plateau for the rest of the season. Mm-hmm. So where it kind of just stays the same and kind of you know as it does it oscillates a little bit. But yeah, so I wonder if a lot of people were just like mm. yeah. And then also it it did increase a lot from the last season. So obviously a lot of people wanted to watch and then it basically kind of got back the people who were you know the people who were watching last season kind of stuck around and a few right. joined in yeah so well, it's not a good episode to be your first episode because it's, no because no, it's so no. much reference to other things that have happened plus again it's just very slow and not a lot happens and well, it's I mean, very it's much just, i mean if you're going to do cliffhangers you've got to reference what happened before i mean right around that. oh you for sure i'm not like, saying that you can't you do can't that, be yeah. like a, a it can't be like a jumping on point for new viewers it's got because it's a cliffhanger right right yeah but you could also like write a good story a little more could have happened for sure it's very not i mean it's very much like let's spend 20 minutes healing Mulder for some reason even though we don't know how consensus is that paperclip is amazing yeah i really like from what i've read a lot of people say it's quite possibly the best myth arc episode so i'm intrigued uh you know i i have my fingers crossed I really I, like it. I think it's really, really good. And I, you know, but, and I've already watched it, obviously. So, like, yeah, I haven't. I'm excited to talk about it. But I think, yeah, this episode just could have, we could have cut this down into like, I don't even know, like half the time and maybe not even like, yeah. Anyway, it's just a shame because a lot of times we're like, man, if they had more episodes, like they could tell the story better. And then they do one in three episodes in the middle part. It's just very much like we could cut out like more than half of this and we would be yeah. fine. It's almost like they had too much for two episodes, but right. not enough for three. And exactly. So yeah. Let's add like almost five minutes of Mulder floating in space on a <laughs> wooden bed of leaves. Right. And so, Scully doing hypnotherapy for. Yeah. I actually didn't time. time that scene, but that scene also seemed to like, it, be like, yeah, dragged. come on. Yeah. yeah. So. So anyway, next week we will talk about paperclip. Yay! Yay! Yeah, and I, 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 I am not being like sarcastic. I sincerely because I, I want it to be good. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't want to watch bad television. I want to watch good television. <laughs> yeah. Well, I hope so, you like it because yeah. I really did. But like, we'll just—it's been a while since we've been I'm sitting here with quadruple fingers crossed at the moment. Yeah. So. so we'll hope. We'll hope that you like yeah. it, and we'll see what happens. We'll talk about it next week. All righty. I Want to Rewatch is hosted by Tori and Nick and recorded at Black Cat Studios. Hashtag really just a bedroom closet. That's right. We made this. <laughs> and be sure to join us next time as we rewatch The X-Files Season 3, Episode 2, Paperclip. And try to figure out if, if the, the truth, truth is, is still, still out there. there. Trust no one. The truth is what we make of it. Expression sold, we know no other.
Okay, let me finish this cake and I'm going to close my door. Hang on. <laughs> yeah, I kind of ate my cake during points where you were talking, so I got through it. Yeah. <laughs> well, I talk enough that you probably had time. So it's a small cake, dude. It's like a little three inch bunk cake. It's pretty tiny. It's cute and delicious. Wow. I can't remember when I've had so much fun. Ooh. Yeah. But I think I overdid it on the honey. By the way, Steph and the kids have been captured by that spooky boogeyman guy. Think I should go help him? I would, but that's me. 